As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? Bethany. Hello, my beautiful friend. Oh, oh my gosh. What an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Even post-workout, you're glowing. Post-workout. Yeah. I was joking that it was a combination of sweat and ring light is the the glow that is on my face today. Show up to set with that look every time. (laughs) Hold a ring light at all times. (laughs) Like make sure you're out of breath, like really high levels of cardio. (laughs) Yeah. Really go all out. Uh, Thanks so much for doing this podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you because you just have such a cool, creative, wonderful life. And I'm excited to kind of dive into the high points and the low points and how you bounced back from anything you bounced back from. Uh, So I usually start out by asking the question, what is a low point or a challenge or a bump in the road in your life that you are most proud of overcoming? And that's kind of like where we start and then we'll just like go from there. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for that. I'm, I mean, I'm just thrilled to think you've bounced back for anything. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel like I made it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, bouncing back, I feel like I live in a state of bouncing back. Like mm-hmm. I truly feel like my entire life is a course to navigate. I don't feel like my life is any particular, like, well, I climbed this mountain and then so on and so forth. But I mean, just to give your listeners an idea. So I'm a style, I'm a style host and expert. My background is hairstyling. I still do hairstyling. I'm a personal style strategist and an interior designer. So I've had a lot of personal development and I'm an author. So I, I had a lot of personal development to do in my adult years, and it was all a solo mission. I didn't have any particular course. So everything feels like um, something's difficult every day. I mean, I feel like just me picking an outfit that makes me look like a professional and not like a gutter punk kid is requires strategy. <laughs> every day I'm like, this is difficult. <laughs> when um, did, oh yeah, keep going. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, when did you um, make the transition from doing hair exclusively or there was a time where you were doing hair exclusively, right? And you weren't doing, yeah. Like 20 years. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, when did you like make that, when did you make that shift from being um, a hairstylist to having all these other creative outlets that you're um, involved in? Yeah. It's kind of funny. Back in the day when people used to ask me what I did, it was like a great question because every person's a potential client, right? Mm. Everyone gets their hair done. Everyone. Yep. Yep. So it was so easy. Oh, I'm a hair sauce. I'm a hair sauce. Oh, great. Let me get your card. You know what I mean? Like my whole life was just very organic networking and client building. Um, I used to hold two states of clientele. So I'd travel to Nevada and do a clientele there. And then I had my clientele in Beverly Hills, which I still have. Um, but then I had Bowie Jean. And for the first time ever, I couldn't travel to cater to that clientele. I also lost a huge chunk of income. I was making a lot of money doing that. Um, and I found myself for the first time ever at home watching daytime television. Like whoever has that luxury, right? Mm-hmm pandemic anyway. And so I started watching, um, the view and the real and the talk and all the other things that start with the, and (laughs) like, wow, I, this is what I do. Like they do what I do. They just don't have to break their back behind a chair doing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's like, wow. Cause my, my profession has always been very personal, very personal. Like my clientele relationship is a, is a very unique one. I think I actually 
I mean, I don't want to say other stylists don't know their clients. Well, of course they do. But my personal relationship with clients is so specific and so intimate. And it's great that they get their hair done. And I'm fortunate that I have a skill set that I'm pretty good at, I think. Um, but I think people come back for the conversation. Mm. You know, sometimes people want their hair done early. Their roots really aren't that bad, but like they just love coming and being in my chair. And I love that time too. It's kind of like having this standing coffee date with, with someone every six weeks or whatever, like we're going to get together for two hours and we're just going to hash out life. And I always love that. And I felt like in talk show hosting position, people have that luxury where they get to just be conversationalists, professional conversationalists. And I thought, wow, I should find a strategy and try to move in that direction professionally, especially because as I'm getting older, my back and my feet and my hands, like everything is hurting. It's really hard on your body. So I, um, I didn't know where to start. I didn't even know it would be necessarily called hosting. I didn't know what to do. I just wanted to be in a place of creating conversation. So I started something on YouTube called therapy, where I just started interviewing my clients while I was doing their hair. And I only did a few of those before I got a better plan going. Um, and then I started taking classes and hosting and I started interviewing and then I became an after buzz host, which is entertainment review. And I never wanted to be an entertainment host. That's not really my calling. I don't really, even though I am a style, a style expert in style is my personal lane of genius. I truly don't care about like labels. I don't care what people are wearing. I absolutely loathe celebrity gossip. I didn't really want that, but it was just sort of like a way to move in the right direction for me for hosting. So I did that. And then I got my own talk show on EverTalk called Down to the Root. And that was like a major win for me. I was also doing style expert hosting. So I would produce these segments. I would come up with a segment concept for fashion style, even some home style stuff. And then I would take them to network and I would present them on air, you know, as you were one of my first models that I used. <laughs> I was like, hey, buddy, old pal, <laughs> what are you doing at 5 a.m. on this day? <laughs> like, I, yeah, I've been, I've been along for the journey. Um, and I've seen yeah. like things start as like ideas for you and then become reality. And it's so cool because you are a person who, like, when you want to do something, like, you're going to do it. Like, if you don't know how to do it, like, you're going to figure out how to do it and then you're going to do it. Uh, well Thank you. Just so you know, I don't feel I was always like that though. You have been like, I mean, since you like made this transition into like doing more creative things um, outside of, you know, hairstyling, I feel yeah, like yeah. you've really done it with such a, courage is not the right word. It, a lot of like grit and like just you're gonna go you're gonna do it you're gonna figure out how to do it you're gonna do it like the book like the children's book that you have like you're like I've, I've had this idea I'm gonna do this thing and then you did it and it's very inspiring as a friend to see that happen because then I'm like oh I could probably follow something that I want to do too because yes. like Bethany's doing it yeah oh that's so sweet to hear thanks Beck I really appreciate that yeah sometimes you go know, back to the whole like when people ask you what do you do mm -hmm. people ask me a lot what I what do I do mm -hmm. because I have like a look. So sure. people are always like, Oh, what does she do? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and typically the first thing people get is styling. They think I'm a fashion stylist. Like, yeah. stylist. um, and then I'm like, well, how long do you have? <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I feel, the, I feel the same way. Like, I don't know how to answer that question anymore either. Cause yeah. I'm like, it's like, I don't want to be, um, not seen as like, great in like the main field that I have but I also like have these other things it's like do I start out saying I'm an actor yeah. or do I say like oh I'm an actor writer and artist or like what like what do, like it's so I know it's really tricky yeah. but this is what I'm learning and I think with the pandemic specifically we saw a shift in mindset amongst at least entertainment people we'll just say I mean I'm an entertainment adjacent person I'm not like an actress or anything but I think people used to view the hyphen as a weakness, like, oh, you can't make it as a writer. So you're also a producer right. or vice versa, whatever, or like, oh, you're an actress, but like, really you're doing copywriting and you're doing whatever. So people 
kind of used to view it as like, oh, you don't have a superpower, you're a jack of all trades. It is my personal uh, <laughs> like motive in life to change that trajectory. I think being a multi-hyphenate makes you even more powerful. And if we look at the people from our own generations that have rose up with that mindset, I mean, who's to stop them? Look at Beyonce, <laughs> you know, or mm -hmm. whoever. Like these people that are like, yeah, I can do that. Yep, I'll do that too. Sure, yep, I'm going to do a fashion line and I'm going to have a skincare line yeah. and I'm going to produce, I'm going to write, I'm going to be a pop star. I'm going to be this, I'm yeah. going to have a design line. I'm going to have my own talk show. Like, but this is the thing. If it's in you, it's meant to be lived out. Mm. And so we have to change this mindset of like being embarrassed when people ask you what you do. I do make a joke about it, but also my own, personal sense of humor is a little self-deprecating something I'm working on I just make a joke about it and I'm just like hey, what, how much gin do you have you know yeah yeah, yeah. like now LA's made me do all of these things but in actuality there's nothing I'm not proud of yeah I'm proud that I wrote a children's book I'm proud that I am a host I'm proud that I do these ridiculous style segments and I'm proud that I interview and I'm proud that I'm a token celebrity hairstylist like that's a funny life thing that I worked at and didn't even know it and that just you know came to pass I'm, I'm proud that I opened my interior design business and that I have taken on clients and when I look back at my projects I'm proud I'm not embarrassed to be like well I'm a hairstylist that also does interior design I'm like mm -hmm. heck yeah I'm an interior designer and a hair like I do it I do it all yeah. And I do personal styling and like style consult for clients as well. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like and I'm a wife and a mother. Sorry. I know we got, like, we got to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get to there. We're going to get to that. Um, real job and I'm a mom. Um, but like, yeah, I feel, I feel similarly. And I, I bring up Enneagram stuff on this podcast all the fucking time. So I'm sure people are like, we get it, but I don't care. It's my podcast. I'll bring up Enneagram whenever the fuck I want. Um, I will ride that Instagram train with you. But like as a bunch of fours. <laughs> yeah, we're just a couple of fours here. Uh, a couple of fours sharing a caboose. <laughs> as a four, at least this is how I feel. I'm curious if you feel this way. Like learning and growing is like my favorite thing to do in life. Like learning new skills or pursuing new things or like uh, thinking outside of the box or even just not feeling boxed into one area is something that like, makes me continue through this life. Like if I couldn't learn and grow and, and, and learn new skills, like I would be so unhappy. So mm -hmm. I wonder if like, do you feel like you're the things that you have like right now? So interior, I mean, all of them, interior design, being an author, being a host, being a stylist, do you feel like you, those are the things you're going to do from here on out? Or do you feel like there are other, uh, lanes that you also want to go down? Oh, mother, you would ask me that. Um, I'm like dreaded to be asked that because I, again, struggle with this inferiority complex and probably um, imposter syndrome where mm. I'm like, who am I? Yeah. Actually, about a year or two ago, wrote down a list, like I journaled in the notes in my phone and said, who am I? Who am I to believe I could be this? Who am I to believe I could be that? Who am I to believe that I could be this? And I think that's how the world look at people, particularly women, not trying to make this a bra burning session, but like all I think, of these episodes are, so it's fine. <laughs> I think women are so expected to be this and this. And really, what are they expected to be? Good wives and mothers. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I, I invest a lot of my life in being a good wife and mother, and I'm very proud of that. And it's a beat down, particularly the mothering part. Wiping's pretty fun, but like mothering's hard. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then it's like, okay, so you might be a working mom. So then you have a skill set. Oh, okay. She's an accomplished mom, but like she manages to make the PTA meetings. So it's okay. But when you add one thing to another thing to another thing that's like, oh, really? You're writing a book now? Oh, you want to illustrate it too. So now you're going to take all those hours away from your kid to go paint. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want to have your own show? Well, how many hours a week is that going to take out of your time? Oh, so you need to have a nanny pick your kid up from school that day? Like you start being looked at as a woman as like, who does she think she is? Like, just put a pot roast in the oven and make sure that you get to the PTA meeting. And 
if you have time to have a business on the side too, great. And I just don't feel that way. Like I am a great mom. There, I said it. I am. I'm a good mom. Bowie is my world. She gets a lot of my time. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of times where she does go to things with me. You know, I'm filming somewhere and she's there, mm -hmm. you know, being yeah. told to shush and eat her snacks and watch her iPad, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, but she's there. Like she's my little sidekick. And, um, she goes to clients' houses with me. She's my little hair, six-year-old hair assistant. And she's, she goes to design projects and she gets to know all of my clients. Like she is with me, yeah, but no, so I never be a president. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that. Cause it's like, I didn't even, that didn't even cross my mind. The thought of like you doing other creative, um, careers that I never thought like, and that makes her not available to her kid. Like that was not even on my radar, which is so interesting. Cause like, that just goes to show how forward thinking you are. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, I think they would think that. And by the way, I didn't even answer your question. I'm sorry. Are there other things I would like to do? Yeah. Yes. And, and some of that is really directly in my field. I would love to have my own furniture line. Mm. That's a beat. That like, would truly cool. be the sickest. Yeah. I would buy everything. Ah, <laughs> I would truly buy everything. I would love to have a wallpaper line, a furniture yeah. line, mm -hmm. an eyewear line, a glasses mm -hmm. line. I'm pretty known for my eyewear because I wear sort of like, um, you know, ridiculous eyewear. If you're going to be blind, make it fashion, right? Yep. Um, I would have a clothing line. I would have a shoe line. I would have like a super rock and roll boot line that felt like a tennis shoe. I've been asking for the universe to put that in my lap for like 20 years. And I don't know if that'll ever come fast, but I also don't give it any energy. My bad. Um, and I would love opportunities in, in entertainment. Like I would love the experience of one time voicing something. I think to be a voiceover for just mm -hmm. one thing would be just so rewarding to watch an animated character come to life and you have the opportunity to give it life and like totally. put in, into that. I think that would be so cool and rewarding. Um, and I, I would like to have a charity. I never talk about that because it's like, it feels so overwhelming and almost daunting, but I'd really like to have a charity that supports underprivileged women, basically. And I would love to have my own show. I would love to be able to do full life makeovers for people and, you know, really get them on the right path. Take someone that, you know, is starting out in a new profession or whatever and give them a, a beautiful Zoom space. Give them a place that works functionally for them. Give them a whole new outfit, look, new hair, beauty, all this stuff. And I am capable of doing that really easily. That's like what my brain naturally does. So I would love to be able to create a platform for that. And I would love that concept to be turned into some sort of charitable organization where that can be expanded, not for entertainment, but just for life, for humanity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know. I, I just, I just love you so much and like love, not only you as a person, but like love what you do. And so I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, she's going to do all those things. Or like, oh yeah, she's going to, that's going to happen. Uh, Cause like, you just, you for saying that. you're just very um creative and also like business savvy and also personable and it's I feel like that combination is just like you know the what is needed to like start a new business or a new like little uh like outlet um you're just fluffing my pillows I'm not that business savvy to be honest that you is are in my I mind to work to, no it's an area I need to work on but what I am and this is what I've learned about myself is I am, um, a celebrator of humanity. Mm. I, I really feel each of us is born with purpose and that's why we're unique. That's why the Enneagram exists as well as Briars Mig, or excuse me. I just My said that. Myers-Briggs. 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 Myers Sounds like a law firm or something. Um, that's why Myers does. and all of that stuff exists. Because we are all individuals. And I think we innately 
know that there's this like higher calling on us. We're supposed to be doing something with our tools, what we're given. We're just sort of put in the world with an individual toolbox of things you are naturally inclined to do. And I think finding how to navigate that is really difficult for some people. It was difficult for me because my skill sets are luxury. And I was from an environment where they wouldn't have been used, Mm. you know, truly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I was a little girl, I was like so into interior design and fashion. And all I did was sketch clothes and I was extreme ADD. I wasn't diagnosed that well because it was like the late eighties, early nineties. So I was titled like a learning difference, which really affected me, made me Mm. feel like I was stupid Mm. and that's still something I battle with sometimes if I don't immediately get something like I'm really bad at leading reading legal jargon and written instructions and stuff like that it really gets in my head it makes me think like oh my gosh I'm like such a dummy why can't I Mm. why can't I process what this is telling me to do or whatever but as a kid I mean I was like this really probably socially awkward, like zealous child that was talking to people in the country, like really in the country in the eighties, picture it. It's very Napoleon dynamite-esque. And I would be meeting strangers and I would be asking them like, well, what is their kitchen decorated like? And like, have they ever sponge painted their bathroom? What are their favorite colors? I mean, as a really young kid, I was so into the idea of creating environments and creating personal inspiration so that people feel happy. It's all about how it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. That's why we have favorite colors. You know, that's, we have these things in us that they call to us and speak to us. And so I'm a really a big celebrator of, of personal style development and showing people how to do that. But I feel like I got off on a little bunny trail there. Anyways, my skill sets weren't something that would have been highly celebrated where I was raised. So when you're from these really small sort of middle America towns, um, the mindset is very like, well, what are you? You're an athlete. You're a brainiac. Like find what you're good at and do it. Well, no one from my town in history that I ever have known of has become an interior designer. That just occurred to me right now. I don't think anyone that I know of in my hometown has ever become an interior designer because mm-hmm. who's that hiring interior designers out in the country? Right. Who's become a fashion designer? None. Yeah. I'm probably the closest thing to any of these things that my hometown has ever seen. So I wasn't highly celebrated. I mean, I was also listening to like Gothic dark wave and stuff when other kids were listening to Whitney Houston and, you know, vanilla ice and stuff. But I'm really dating myself here. So I think I was a little bit of a weirdo. I don't think anything about me and my purple hair was super celebrated in my youth. So when you say what's something difficult that you've overcome, I would just be like freaking everything. Yeah. Like it's all difficult. I was not a package brought into an environment that could thrive everything I've ever had to do or accomplish has only been out of digging deep in myself and trying to figure out what do I have to work with here yeah I was gonna ask like growing up when you did feel um I guess you didn't say like an outsider I guess I'm inferring that based on the fact that I did I would say okay I mean I don't know the word I would use. Yeah. There was like one particular girl that really bullied me hard. And I was honestly such a nice kid. I'm much tougher now than I was as, as a little one. And I was just raised to be sweet. Yeah. Like period. Like I had no gumption to defend myself. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I didn't have the confidence to use my words in hindsight, I could have verbally abused any of them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm actually pretty witty with my words, but I couldn't, I didn't have the confidence to retort. Instead, I would just smile and be nice back. 
no matter like how mean like fifth grade was dreadful like how did how did that like affect you as an adult how did yeah so much I talk to my husband about it all the time if someone's not immediately warm back to me because I'm a pretty like friendly warm Mm -hmm. personality so I come in hot that's just my personality. I think you and I have that in common. We've talked about that before. Sometimes yeah. we fought for people. So we're just like, hi, oh my gosh, I see you. Like, oh, I love your shoes. I like your hair. Oh, what, what? Like we are naturally very engaging personalities and I'll never not be that. Mm-hmm. But when you're bullied as a kid, I was made fun of for dressing weird. I was made fun of for being really small. I was like, I was really small. I was like the smallest kid in my class. Um, so I was short and I was just really petite and really skinny, scrawny, one might say. And now in my adult years, if I meet someone that's not immediately warm back to me, I, my first gut is like, oh, they don't like me. Mm. And that's because I had that as a childhood. I had people that just didn't like me for no reason, truly for no reason. I was nothing but nice to them. I read this statistic a few years ago that was one of the most freeing things I ever wrapped my mind around. It said one in 10 people statistically are not going to like you Mm. for no other reason than just their brain is in a state of liking and disliking. And they can only like so much. The average person is just coming along people in life and something rubs them the wrong way and they like, or I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And so it was very freeing for me when I learned, oh, sometimes people just don't, they just don't feel like liking you. Yeah. You know, and hopefully you have the opportunity to see them again and you kill them with kindness and you break down their barriers and maybe they change their mind. But it was so hard for me to deal with like, why wouldn't someone, why doesn't someone want to be nice back? So yeah. nice how do you deal with that now? Like when, if, if that, if you encounter that situation and you're like, Oh, I feel like that person doesn't like me or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, goes through your head. How do you move through that as an adult? Um, I just put a smile on my face and know that that it's their thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's hard to learn. Yeah. You know, I'm 42 now. I'm still learning this. Yeah. It's a lifetime of learning. Some things are someone else's something. It's not my thing. And you also don't, I mean, the whole world has recognized this, but you don't know what their day is. Right. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know if they just buried a loved one or if someone just broke their heart, if they just got let go from their job, their dream job, or, I mean, people, there's a million reasons why someone might be in a bad mood and maybe doesn't feel like smiling back. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like most of the time I feel like people are thinking about themselves. Like they're not, it's not about you. It's like they're in their own heads about whatever's going on in their life. Mm -hmm. And like, they aren't like as like pessimistic or tough as this might sound. It's like, they're not thinking about you. Like like most people are just thinking about themselves. Um, You said something to me once and I'd heard it before, but when you said it to me, it, it rang in my bell and I, I it resounded and I heard it over and over again. You said to me once, um, it's none of my business what other people think of me. Mm-hmm. Paraphrasing. I don't know. If no, I that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, huh, what an interesting concept. It isn't my business. Other people's thoughts are not my business. Mm-mm. And if it's not your business, how could it possibly be your problem? Exactly. You know, which like some days it's easier than others to remember that, you know, cause I'm like, especially when you're, I'm sure you relate to this as a four, but when you're like unabashedly like yourself and it might be a little different or a lot different than what the status quo is, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it's easier for people to not like you or to present like they don't like you or to be intimidated by it or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, however you want to phrase it. I feel like, um, I, at least I feel like that, especially with, you know, getting older and figuring out what my values are and the fact that it's just like 
it's a lot different. Like my Instagram's a lot different than it used to be. Like things are just different as I get older and things change and like mm-hmm. it rubs people the wrong way. And to be like, well, this is who I am. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy, but it's, it's mm-hmm. helpful to remember, like, it's probably something there, something that is going on in their head. And it's not, again, it's not my business. Like my business is to be myself and be the fullest most authentic version of me I can be. And if you like it, great. And if you don't like it, great. Mm-hmm. But that's like, it's not easy to always remember that. No, it's really challenging. And I mean, it's, I guess in some regards, it's easier said than done. We live in LA, which means people liking us is what gets us work. Exactly. Yeah. It's really tricky to just be like, well, maybe they're not for me. Like, Kesara. But in actuality, it's like, well, no, you want people to like you. I mean, I would want people to like me, even if I didn't, even if money wasn't a thing. Yeah. (laughs) We lived in a magical society where no one hired anyone and we just all coexisted and gardened. Um, But there's this dependency that makes you feel like, well, social connections can be serendipitous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you want to win people over not that it's a game but you want people to feel like they see the good in you Mm -hmm. you know you hope that people are intuitive and know that like you're a good person and yeah whatever and then it's also like and you can do your job well (laughs) yeah and it's also like um in the same vein it's like being like on brand quote unquote like on brand or whatever Barf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so yeah. challenging because it's like that is how you kind of get jobs, but it's also for at least for me and I think you as well. Like, it doesn't work for me. Like, I I don't want to be on brand. Like, my brand is just not so like honed in and specific. It's mm-hmm. so many different things, and also like I'm not a brand. Like, I'm an individual. Exactly. I have such a problem with that term. Me too. I've had a problem with it from the first day I heard it. I I don't appreciate it. I don't welcome it in my life. I get the concept of it, especially if you're doing acting or something where it's like, no, we're looking for a person that is A, B, C, D, whatever. Oh, Rebecca fits in that category. This is on brand for her. I get that. But why are we branding ourselves? And also it's like, well, as an actor, I, I, the whole, my whole job is being somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it's like you telling me that that part's not on brand. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. It's not me. It's a character that I've trained most of my life to be able to take on those characteristics and be another person. It's literally the entire point of acting. Right. So it's like a weird, it's a weird thing. I think in LA when people say that shit, I feel like it's more a thing for like commercial acting. Am I wrong? I mean, I never book, I never book commercials, so I'm probably not the best person to ask this to. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Um, what was a challenging aspect about becoming a mother? I'm very interested in it because obviously I was there for like the entire journey of pregnancy, the birth of Bowie, Bowie Mm -hmm. growing up. I'm curious, like in her, how old's Bowie now? Six? Six and a half. Uh, fucking flies. Uh, what in this you know I guess technically seven and a half years if you're uncounting counting the pregnancy or I guess even before pregnancy like the journey of becoming pregnant what is like a ch- a challenging aspect of this kind of season in your life so it was really ironic how it worked out if you would have asked say at high school graduation if you would have taken a poll amongst my class of who would have been the first to get married and have kids I probably would have been on that list of the very first whereas all of my closest friends had bigger goals and more attainable ones which is probably why they were goal-oriented mine were very vague and Mm. feeling impossible really so in an ironic twist of fate my friends had kids so early on that their kids babysat Bowie by the time I have both. Like they were like literally 18 to early 20s. Wait, how old were you when you had Bowie? 
35. Okay. But all of my closest girls had <laughs> um, surprise pregnancies very early on. Mm, okay. Like very young. So I would say I waited my whole life for Bowie and I lived like I was preparing my life for motherhood to the extent of like, there was a lot of stuff I just didn't really do because it wasn't my mindset. My mindset was so focused on like, well, when am I going to have kids? Well, when am I going to be married? When am I going to have kids? And then when I finally had Bowie, I sort of realized, wow, there's a lot of stuff I would still like to do, but I can't now because I'm a mom. Mm. That tripped me out, you know, stuff like traveling and just freedom lifestyles, basically. I mean, you know what it's like, how often do you and I go get a cocktail or something? Like never. Yeah. So, um, I think just that adjustment of responsibility and attainability, like what, what is like, that was really challenging for me. Also, we don't have any family or support here. So because of that, I mean, it's the wild west. Our whole life is juggling Bowie. We don't hardly ever hire childcare. It's very occasional. Um, we really try to just muscle th- through those situations and we do the pass off, you know, I'll get off early. You get off early. I'll, I'll drop her. You take her, blah, blah, blah. That's our whole life. So just the logistics of having a child has been really challenging to navigate. Um, there's just a lot. I mean, you're raising a whole human. You're instilling in them everything you want them to be in society and it's all challenging. It's all very rewarding though, too. We're just finding our own way to navigate our core values. Yeah. I was going to say about having core values is like, well, one, a lot of people don't from doing this podcast and from just like having conversations, like core values is not something that a lot of people even think about. Um, Mm -hmm. like it's to actually sit down and be like, what are my core values and like, mm-hmm. why are they this? Um, I think it's super helpful. And I feel like for you, it probably is too. And like navigating like your decision-making processes when like big decisions come up because you already have like these core values in place. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, you're going to make a decision that's in line with one of them. Yeah. Um, which I think is like super helpful. I, I think it's funny to make it sit down and make a list of core values. And that's not something I've actually done, but I have such a, a strong sense of self. Th- that is something I do know about myself. I'm not easily swayed. I'm very aware of who I am, what I stand for, what I don't fall for, what's in line with my core values and my morals. And ultimately, I'm just really a respecter of humans. I feel like I'm here to celebrate people, to bring beauty to environments, to help them navigate their worlds better. I'm a natural encourager. If I'm not encouraging you, if you haven't left a meeting with me feeling encouraged, I probably didn't do my job. I feel like it's my job to make people feel how awesome they are. <laughs> that sounds yeah. so silly, but you know, people are so incredible and each individual is just crammed full of surprises and beautiful purpose and talents and skills and wonderments and ideas and inventions. And like every individual is so worthy of celebrating, but yet we live in a society where we're all depressed and anxiety ridden. And we feel like we can barely take the next step and we don't know what to do next. I'm victim to that too. I'm not in any way saying I'm above that, but it's really easy to have an aerial perspective on a friend, right? Or a client or whoever. I can look at you in your life and I can say, Hey, I know you're feeling this, this, and this right now, but let me just tell you, you're this, this, you have this, you have this to look forward to. Look what you just overcame. You handled this really well. I'm really proud of you. So I think encouragement is a huge core value of mine and just honoring my family, honoring my friendships, leading from a place of humility and grace. And leading from a place of denying greed. That's a really big thing for me in my business because I always want people to leave a business deal with me feeling like they got the good end of the deal. Mm. 
I want them to leave feeling like my service held priceless value for them. I don't ever want them leaving an interaction with me feeling like, whoa, that hurt. Like, oh, I just really felt that. Like that was so expensive and I'm not even happy or blah, 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 whatever. So I think those are really important to me and just leading an honest life. I'm honest down to my very minute. Like when I rent space, I rent to the actual minute. And if I go over that minute, then I have to pay more. I just, I think it's really important to try to live in a place of what is serving someone else, not just serving me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not always easy. <laughs> no, I was, yeah. I, I, Sometimes totally. I leave a lot of money on the table. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, well, could have done that, but nope. I, Are you good at like, cause I know you said like one of your core values is, um, like encouraging other people. I think you said the word encouraging. Are you good at encouraging yourself? Um, I'm getting better at it, but no, I, I would not say that that has been my strongest yeah. thing. But what I found about myself is my individuality, like it is for everyone else, my individuality is a little bit more identifiable than others, but my individuality is my superpower. My creativity and my stylistic eye and my own inspiration that literally is just from me, that is my superpower. So when I lean in with appreciation for myself, oh, you know, you have to anchor it with humility. Otherwise it just turns into ego and there's no room for that. But if I can come to it from a place of gratitude, like it's a gift, then I can easily disperse it into the world. And that makes me feel capable. That makes me feel like Santa Claus delivering presents. Look what I have for you, what I can do for you. Look how much better this is. Look how amazing thing that's can be let's you know let's try this I have this idea that's when I feel good is when I'm able to package something in me and give it to someone else so that it works for them mm. but as far as just standing in the mirror and selling affirmations to myself yeah it's a tough song. <laughs> especially yeah. now that I'm in my 40s. <laughs> especially what now that I'm in my 40s I'm like <laughs> yeah you can't sweep me self <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause you, you're, you are so great at encouraging other people. And I feel like if, if you were talking to you, if you were somebody else and you were talking to you, I'm not making any sense, but you know what I mean? I feel like you're just so wonderful and the best and creative and all the things that you said. And like, when you look at the mirror in the mirror, I feel like, of course, like we all say this, like to our friends or whatever, but I feel like you should be so fucking stoked and proud and like all the things, you know, but it's obviously easier said than done. Um, it is easier said than done. And I think part of that was what I was raised with. I was really Mm. raised with, um, you know, you never want to be ego driven, conceited, anything like that. So really, I think sometimes I tilt into a self-deprecating humor. I think I probably got that from my mom. You know, you can't really give us a compliment. Right. You can't just tell me you're having a great hair day. I have to counteract it with, oh, thanks. Well, you know, right. I have these brown roots and like, if only it could grow a little thicker. I mean, if I had your this, it's really hard for me to just say, thank you. Right. <laughs> like almost impossible. <laughs> like really, really hard for me to just. Yeah. Yeah. See, I see that. <laughs> yeah. I, I usually am like. That's so nice of you to say. That's like what I've, instead of saying thank you, that's like the most I can say is like the most yeah. I can handle is being like, that's so nice of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Wanting to be like, but there's this and this and this and this that I would change. Yeah. But I, it is funny. That's a funny thing. Men say thank you much easier than women. Right. Yeah. I think so too. But I think part of that comes also from women are so afraid of being looked at as like, oh, well, she thinks she thinks she's the same. Right. 
starts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's, am I going to say all that? I mean, talk about a term, not really in my vocabulary, but like, like she just thinks she's like the shit hot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hot shit. So yeah. I think I learned really early on that I don't ever want to be perceived that way. And part of that maybe was because I started modeling young. Mm. It was like, well, I'm not really viewed for being a brainiac. I wasn't viewed as an intellect. You and I had very different childhood experiences in terms of education and being scholastic. You were in like special classes for being, am I wrong? Weren't you? Yeah, I went to to public school. I never went to private school, but like we, it, there was the, what's called the international baccalaureate program, which was like a kind of like a Montessori situation, but for our, like high school age people where it's like, we had the same curriculum as anybody who was doing IB in you know, in mm-hmm. England or in Japan or in Australia, like we all were learning the same exact thing, yeah, which I think is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that is the, that is the thing that I, that I did, but yeah. Very cool. Well, our, mine was very different. I right. was like, also, you have to know that in around 1990-ish, give or take a few years in either direction, there was like this whole movement about dumb blondes. Every joke was a dumb blonde joke. And I made every joke. All we did was talk about how dumb blondes are. Oh, you have blonde hair. You must be dumb. You're ditzy. You're this. And then adjacent to that concept was like, oh, you're a slut sort of thing too. Mm -hmm. Dumb, ditzy, blonde with like implants. And, Mm. you know, it's just sort of this whole thing. And I was blonde and I wasn't scholastic. And I modeled, you know, I was like, dare I say, like a cute girl. Um, see, even that feels so weird to say, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was known more for my looks. I got more attention for my looks. And um, I think that's why I became a little bit goofy mm. too. Mm. I always wanted to just make people laugh. And I felt like also if I was la- making people laugh, then maybe I wouldn't be the dumb blonde or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's also like, I know you're talking about like the, the like quote unquote, like bimbo, Yes, you know, time where it was like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, but also it's like, why can't I be a bimbo? Why is that a bad thing? Like, why can't I have like what, I mean, I'm not talking about myself because I don't have big boobs, but like, why can't someone be blonde with big boobs? And well, like, no one wants to be dumb though. No, but like, but like, why can't you have those things and not be dumb? Is yeah. like my point. And it was for some reason, a whole package deal. Right. Actually, the one time I went to the principal's office was in sixth grade. There was this kid, Jacob, that kept calling me Blondie and he called me Blondie every day. And I don't mean Blondie, like you must be rad, like Debbie Harry. It was mm-hmm. Blondie, like you're a dumb blonde. Okay, Blondie, Blondie, Blondie. And I kept saying, don't call me Blondie. And he said it over and over again. I said, if you call me Blondie one more time, we're both going to the principal's office. And he was like, whatever, Blondie. And I punched him in the face. Hell yeah. And I got <laughs> Hell yeah. I love that. What was our neighbor across the field? And he was like, Bethany, I didn't expect to see you in here. What's going on? Yeah, I'm like, good. I'm glad you did that. I had a lot of, I mean, I had a lot of issues. Yeah. I was like leaving the classroom to take tests. Mm. I had girls that were mean to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I dressed like what was considered to be a weirdo. Like I was like the weirdo, I guess. Yeah. Would you say that like any of that has proven to be like an asset to you? Uh, I think being a weirdo has. It took me a long yeah. time to embrace it. Though. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, individuality is our superpower. Mm -hmm. So whatever that looks like. And in my case, it's kind of my packaging and the way I think Mm -hmm. I'm a a creative. I'm not a traditional, you know, when you think of someone that's really accomplished in their education, I don't have a trail of degrees behind me. I was never the head of my class in, you know, traditional studies or anything, but I'm a great critical thinker. 
Yeah. And super creative. And I think I got some of that from my dad. My dad's a contractor and my family are all artists and they're also all very construction minded. So I kind of got, which I think it has obviously lent to a success aspect for me in interior design, because I'm really great with solutions. Yeah. I can take a couple feet and really do something with it. I, I'm really good at seeing opportunity where nothing seems to exist. Like that is the visionary. So I guess I've learned to appreciate that I don't fit in a category. So in terms of branding, <laughs> I'll never forget yeah. the first time my hosting, I have a hosting coach and teacher and agent, and they were like, well, you know, fashion is your brand. And I was just so turned off by the term brand. I don't even like brands. Mm -hmm. Probably why I've delayed doing my own fashion line. Like what is brands? It's just so stupid. I hate labels. I hate making this brainwashing aspect that we put into society where there's like a cool trend and you have to get on, on board with something. And even if you have the exact same gimmick or the exact same item, but it doesn't have that label then like, it's not cool enough. Like it's just turning everyone into, into sheep. And we've seen it our whole lives. It's been around forever. It's not like it's a new pro product, but the concept of making people products, mm. putting people, I mean, even the term brand, think about branding a cow or something like you're this, right. you're labeled this, that's on you forever. Like we're right. tattooing foreheads. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it also has to do with like, financial status to what, right. It's like, if you have a brand that is cost this amount of money or whatever, it gives you status. And I think mm -hmm. that like all goes back to this, like capitalist structure that, you mm -hmm. know, society is deemed as the quote unquote, correct, correct one. Um, but yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, I hate status as well. Right. I like, I loathe it. I hate anything that divides humans. Mm -hmm. I'm all about celebrating the individual, but if there isn't a factor of unity and holding each other up and feeling as equals, like it's not for me. Yeah. And honestly, it's not for humanity. Yeah. We are designed yeah. to be in relationship and celebrate each other. So I, and I think that's, I mean, kind of getting off topic. I think there's this, there's this whole cycle in yin and yang of like empathy and gratitude. And when we live in a place of we support each other, we feel each other's loss, we immediately have gratitude that that's not our experience. Hmm. And when I see someone on the side of the road with a sign saying they need help. I immediately feel badly for them. And then I do what I can for them if I have the resources and then I immediately and like thank you that that I have a home you know and I think in society when we make ourselves equals we're allowed we allow ourselves to just live in a place of of support of empathy and gratitude for what each other has and what we have to offer each other in society and I think other cultures do that a lot better than Americans Americans are all on our own path. We are all on our own staircase. It's, you know, that dog eat dog mentality has been around forever. Step on the little guy. You don't show them empathy. You don't even show gratitude for what you're taking. You just move yourself up every man for themselves. Yeah, it is. It's like a, I mean, I think it's like, it all comes from fear or this fear and also this like scarcity complex that like, there's not enough to go around, you know, it's like, I need this thing because yeah. I, you can't have it because if you have it, then I can't have it. Yeah. And it's like, exactly. No, it's like, it, to me, it's, it's never more apparent than at the airport when people rush to like, um, when they, when you're in like the boarding area and you're about to board or whatever, and they're like, you know, group one or a, or whatever the fuck. And everybody runs to like, get on the airplane. I'm like, you guys, you already bought a ticket. Like you have <laughs> a seat. Why okay. are you running over there? Why are you standing there? Why are you like pushing to get I'm ahead of people out of the way? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that is like a microchasm for what I feel like American 
society and life is. And it's like, you can't have it. I need it. I need it first. Cause if I don't have it first, I might not get it. And it's like, I know. I know. I mean, I think the counterbalance to that in my little life that I believe is, and I was just telling someone money is a renewable source. Mm -hmm. We had something happen this week that was like a family incident via Bowie school. And every dime I made this week went to paying for that. So a quarter of my month income just paid for this like random life blow. But I was like, you know what? Money is renewable. Thank goodness. I had the resources to throw at it. Look at the families that are experiencing the same thing. And they didn't have those resources. What's that look like for their household? Yeah. So if we can just remember money is just a tool. It's yeah. not the prize. Right. It's so hard for people to remember that. Resource. Yeah. I know. But the whole thing about labels and, and that status symbol thing, it was so huge in the aughts. Remember in the early 2000s when it was like every girl had the Louis Vuitton purse mm. you know, that looks like wallpaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Purse. Yep. It was like every girl wanted the Paris Hilton one that was like rainbow LVs. And it's, we're just turning everyone into clones. And it's honestly hilarious for the designer, the capitalist, because we're turning People, people are paying us to be our advertisements. They're paying us right. to be walking billboards. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the whole culture of like imposter designer, which is so hilarious to me because the whole point of buying something authentic would be for the quality. But then you get into this whole other sect of human that's like, we just want to look good enough. We just want to look like we can afford this purse. Like it's so important to us that we would spend still a lot of money on essentially a piece of garbage that just has the right stamping on it so that we can look like we are the type of people that live this life. It's so stupid. And it's like the whole design. I mean, I could do a full two hours on designer handbags. So like, feel free to stop me any moment, but the whole designer handbag thing is just such a conundrum. It's yes, it is marketing. Yes, it is social status. But above all, let's just remember it's erasing individual style. No one is even carrying a handbag that speaks to them anymore because they just want to look like they can afford that bag that's everywhere. It's so opposite of how I think. I, I would so much rather talk to a client about their favorite color, what inspires them, what seasons are they into, what music do you listen to, what's your favorite movie? All these things give us clues to something that might be an item that speaks to you. And a bag is a special item because it's something you carry with you with a lot of outfits and people identify your bag as sort of a part of you if it's something you carry regularly and you can mix and match it with all of your things in your outfits and it carries your whole life in it. That's pretty special. Like we could all be carrying a little purse that's vintage, that's handmade, something from Etsy, perhaps something that's like, has your favorite thing on it. Maybe you're like me and you're a Leo and you like little lion stuff. Let's find you a lion purse in your favorite color and velvet, but maybe with a bamboo ring handbag, something you can wear in the winter and the summer. (laughs) Like there's so much room for personal style development, but instead we've just created sheep. Well, it's like also because I feel like, and we are at an hour, so I'm going to wrap us up, but like, it's also like, well, it's been praised somewhere, some, somewhere along the lines, people have been like, no, have a nice bag. Like have a, that's just like a little example, but it could be, it could really be anything that is of monetary value. Cause mm-hmm. I respect you more, not me, but like the world, you're more respectable if you have money or you're more respectable. You know what I mean? It's like a status. You're more respectable if you have status. And if you have money, then you have status. So it's like a whole, it like trickles down to like this thing where it's like, yeah, it's status. status. That is, I mean, we should start, you and I should start a handbag line. That's just called status, just out of a joke and just see where it goes. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Um, my last question, is that, is that status? Gosh, is that the newest status? Yeah. Um, the last question I want to ask is like, what piece of advice do you normally, or I guess it wouldn't be advice, but what do you tell Bowie the most 
what do you like want to instill in her the most as a mother to a daughter? Um, I tell her that, I mean, I honestly tell her the same thing I tell everyone, but yeah, really what is it? close to heart. I just tell her she has in her every single thing she needs and that she's special and she's good. I think it's really important to tell kids they're good. You're a good person. You might not well, be well behaved all the time, but you're not a bad kid. You're a good kid. You can make good choices. And I think it's important to remind children that these things we have in us are meant to be lived out. They aren't meant to like repress and then go pursue something that just seems like the thing to do or whatever. And I mean, that could look like something as small as playing a team sport you don't really like, or it could look like going to a college that doesn't resonate with you and having a major that isn't something you want to pursue or applying for a job that's like making you miserable and it's not in line. We need all types of people represented in society. And when we do the thing that you're good at, there's room to climb in your profession and to hopefully grow. And hopefully we come to a place in society where we start paying artists their worth and value and start treating them like they aren't something to be tread on. <laughs> but I feel like there is something for everyone. And when we do what we are, life isn't hard. No one said a life will be easy, but it's much more enjoyable. You know, there's that saying like, do something you love and you never work a day in your life. There's really something to that. I don't come home from dates at work feeling um, like, oh, I just cannot do this one more day. I come home on fire. Oh my gosh, I had the best conversations today. You know, this person is doing this and they finally this. And like, I'm so excited about people's growth. And my job offers me that because I'm doing what I'm good at. Can you imagine if I worked in a cubicle? Yeah. Yeah. I just want Bowie to do what she loves, I guess is the thing. And I want her to have confidence. I didn't have confidence as a kid. Yeah. And I'm still working now. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much for giving me an hour of your time. Um, it's much appreciated. I always love talking with you, obviously, but I'm excited for uh, the podcast listeners to to get to hear what you have to say because it's such a it's always such a wonderful um I can just tell that you've like spent time thinking about these things it's very they're very like conscious and thoughtful so I appreciate you sharing that with with me and the world Thank you. I feel like I rambled a lot but I appreciate your time Thanks it's so that. funny that's literally what everybody says at the end of an it's episode kind of <laughs> the whole, it's literally the entire point of the podcast is to ramble and so it's so funny when everybody says that well, I love it. I love you so much. I celebrate you. I'm so proud of you doing this podcast. It's been a joy to watch you grow in this space and Thanks. it's just been wonderful. Look at you. You're leaving your legacy, babe. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back with guest Bethany Jean. You can follow her personal page on Instagram. Her handle is Bethany Jean Official. And you can also follow her interior design page, which is The Joy Revision. So let's get into this recap. So the first part of this episode, we talked about all the different creative facets that Bethany is a part of, um, both for career and for just personal growth. She started as a uh, hairstylist, became a celebrity hairstylist, and then kind of took all the creativity that she has in her to go down different paths, starting with hosting. She created her own talk show called Herapy. She became a style expert on various channels. I was on one of the news ones that she did in, in San Diego. And then she created her own show called Down to the Root. Uh, a lot of these revolved around interviewing her clients because she talked about how she really loves seeing her clients on a regular basis because it's like you get to have coffee with your friend every six weeks or whenever you get your hair done. She's really a proponent of like boosting people up and giving people confidence and talking and just being there for each other and talking about the world, which you probably kind of understood from this episode and listening to her. We also talked a little bit about what being a multi-hyphenate in your job, how how that can be portrayed as like, oh, she she can't be really good in this one area, so she has to be good, like kind of good in all these other areas, but how... Her and I both think that like being a multi-hyphenate is 
the best because you're kind of unstoppable. Um, but then we talked about how that can be tough for her while balancing motherhood at the same time because she's done a lot. She's written a children's book. She's a host, a stylist, an interior designer. She does hair. She does a lot. And we talked a little bit about how the balance between work and motherhood is. We talked about her goals for the future, how she wants to do a furniture line, a glasses line, a boot line, voiceover, a charity. She has so much in her brain. And honestly, I absolutely think she's going to do all these. She talked about how she's a big celebrator of humanity and the fact that we're all individuals and here for a purpose and we're all unique and we should go after the things that we love. We talked about what it's like to be from a small town with big dreams. And then we talked a little bit about um, how her and I both have kind of big personalities at first and how she deals with meeting someone who isn't immediately warm back because her first thought is like, oh, they don't like me. And she said that stems from being bullied as a kid. We talked about how there's a statistic that one in 10 people aren't going to like you and how that gave her kind of like some relief because it's like, oh, it's not me. It's the other person. And, and most of the time, the other person is thinking about themselves and it probably has nothing to do with you. But we just like internalize that. We talked a little bit about the phrase that what people think about you is none of your business. And then sort of the conundrum of living in L.A. because sometimes we get jobs when people like us and we make these social connections. So what do you do when like you're kind of like, oh, well, I don't care what you think about me. But also at the same time, I kind of do because I could get a job out of this. We talked about some of her core values, her strong sense of self, how she's not easily swayed. She knows what her values and morals are and sticks to those. She talked about how she loves to celebrate people, encourage people, make them feel powerful. And she talked about how she lives a life of denying greed. And she wants to make the person that she's doing a business deal with like they got a good end of the deal. And also that she just wants to live an honest life. We talked about coming from a place of gratitude. And then I asked her if she encourages herself the same way that she encourages other people. And we talked about how that's more challenging for her. We talked about our education growing up. She said that individuality is our superpower. And I really agree with that. We talked about um, brands and labels and capitalism and our distaste for that phrase of like every man for themselves, that mentality um, when like, there's like, there's enough to go around, like we can come together way more than we do. We also talked about how money is a renewable resource. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. And money is a tool, not the prize, which I really, really loved that quote that Bethany said. And then I asked her what she tells her daughter Bowie as like a piece of advice. And she said that you have everything that you need inside you already. You're special and you're good. And that the things in us are meant to be lived out. And we need all types of people in our society. So follow your dreams. Do something you love. And you'll never work another day in your life. And I completely agree. That being said, thanks again for listening to this episode. New episodes every Thursday.